Okay, with you. Thanks so much. Uh, good morning. Great to be uh, with you again this week. And I appreciate the opportunity that we're having as we go through uh, Hebrews. It's, it's been teaching me a lot. It's been person, personally, it's just been really encouraging for me. And I pray that the Lord's uh, blessing you through it as well. When we move through a book like this, uh, normally, uh, the way that we normally do here at IBCBI, we like, we'd like to move through uh, a book or a letter uh, as much as we can uh, at once. And there are a couple of ways that, uh, that you can do that, right? We could uh, take shorter passages and, and really drill down and, uh, and just look at just a, a few, few verses at a time. And there's a lot of merit to that. You can, you'll, you'll just learn a tremendous amount. Um, the other way is to kind of take bigger sections uh, of the book or of the letter so that we can try to maintain an overall sense of flow of what the author is trying to say in the book or in the letter. And that's normally the way that we try to uh, handle things, right? Uh, uh, most of the time you won't go, uh, I don't think, and, and hear an, an entire Hebrews, all of Hebrews 8 or all of Hebrews 9. Um, but uh, I, I think if we think about these letters and people would sit down and they read the whole thing, right? They're just not... Um, interacting with it the way we are sometimes devotionally, a few verses here, a few verses there, but uh, really trying to take in the, the overall kind of the whole arc of what the writer is trying to uh, say to us. And so um, we're going to look at Hebrews 9, and let me just be honest, there, there's plenty enough for us to learn and obey this week from Hebrews chapter 9. And the truth is your life as a believer uh, should really be filled with you coming back to the book of Hebrews over and over and over. Sometimes uh, I've found it really helpful to read Hebrews and read Leviticus at the same time. They just There's a lot that uh, you'll see that uh, those two books kind of um, illuminate uh, one another. And, and they're just, to me, I think they're really, um, they're really helpful. But your future should be coming back to Hebrews again and again and again, learning and applying more and more uh, of it. And so uh, I recognize we're going to have a, we have a big uh, chunk of scripture tonight. And there's, I can't say, can't possibly say uh, everything there is to say in this chapter in uh, just these few minutes. And so I do encourage you to be, you know, staying in this book, staying in this book and uh, coming back to it at different points and, and really reading and saying, Lord, teach me uh, what are some things I haven't seen before and, and how can I apply those things to my life. And so uh, last week, we, we did end with uh, chapter 8, and what we saw in chapter 8 was this new covenant that God was promising his people out of Jeremiah chapter 31. He says, we're going to have a new covenant. We looked at the new covenant a little bit, how it's based on better promises, and, uh, and this week here in chapter 9, we see that the writer really does start to unpack some definitive ways that this new covenant is better than uh, the old covenant, right? Hopefully you remember these believers were uh, from a Jewish background. There are lots of times that the writer here just assumes certain knowledge that uh, a Jewish background person would uh, have, right? Um, we, we, had, uh, we just had an election. We've been through a, a quite a bit of stuff over uh, here in the U.S. the last couple of months. And, and, and we just have these kinds of things that we can say, right? They're just a symbolism that we could say 1776 and, and we can talk about Valley Forge and we can talk about the Capitol and that's not happened since the Civil War, right? And we just have these things that uh, as Americans, a lot of us would know about. But if we talked about those things from Nigerian uh, history or from the Philippines and you were talking about real highlights of your history, uh, I would. I just wouldn't know. I would have to go back and try to read and learn and and uh, try to understand some of those uh, kinds of things. And so this writer is assuming that they have a, a Jewish background. And see, 
goes through. And we should also remember that these believers are living in a time of uh, persecution. They're religiously being persecuted for their faith by the uh, Roman governor. And so we're going to see some of these things still come out uh, through our text, this kind of expectation, uh, especially when we get to verse 5. Um, basically, the author says, well, we don't have time to talk about this. And, uh, and he just sort of moves on. We're going to see that in uh, just a couple of seconds. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I do want to just read some of our text. As I said, it's, it's long. I'm going to break it up. It's 28 verses. Uh, we're going we're gonna to break it into two main sections for our purposes here today. First is the old was limited. The old was limited. And I'm going to try to pull that out of verses 1 through 10. And then the new is eternal, the rest of the chapter, verses uh, 11 through 28. So the old was limited, the new is eternal. But first I want us to read uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, and I'm going to start with the first nine, uh, first 10 verses, okay? Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn uh, holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant, right? This is stuff that he just expects that they know, that you know what manna is, that you know about who Aaron was, you know about his staff, when uh, he says the tablets of the covenant, right? He expects that you know the tablets of the covenant is the Ten Commandments. And so that's uh, the end of verse four. And then verse five, above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of, course, uh, of these things, we now cannot speak in detail, he says. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But, in the, but into the second section into the second only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people by this the holy spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age uh he says in verse nine according to this arrangement Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. All right, let's pray together, and, uh, and then I want us to, to, to dive into these verses. Father, we do love you. <clears throat> we do thank you that uh, we have this uh, Old Testament picture and Lord, as I've been thinking about the, this holy place and the most holy place, and as I've been reflecting this week on the fact that Jesus, when he died on the cross, that that veil that, that separated those two was just a torn into two pieces from uh, the top downward, and, and we know that you opened up a way. And so as we look about this, uh, this idea of the, the old covenant being limited and the new being eternal, I pray that you would open our hearts in our minds, and we pray that these things would, uh, Lord, that it would live inside us, and that they would be exciting, and that, Lord, we would find them uh, easily, easy to apply in our lives, and we pray that you would guide our time. Lord, would you keep me from error? 
Uh, Lord, would you, uh, would you allow us, Lord, to hear your voice and to be changed by it? So we thank you for your love. Thank you for this time that we have together. We pray you bless our families, Lord. I know we're separated, many of us, and sickness here and there. And so we pray, God, for your mercy, and we pray for your intervention. We pray especially for your touch on us these next few minutes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry about that. So here's the first. The old covenant was limited. The old covenant was limited. And I see it being limited in at least four ways. But these four I really want to highlight for us. The old, the old covenant was limited in place. It was limited in time. It was limited by a person. And it was limited in ability. Okay? First, it was limited in place. The Jews, like lots of religions today, the Jews had a certain place that they were supposed to worship. And especially here on this on this day of atonement, right? There's a lot of um, there's a lot of symbolism that uh, that 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 the writer is using here about the day of atonement or Yom Kippur, the day when uh, the atonement was made for the sins of the people. This this sacrifice had to be accomplished at the tabernacle, and I think it's really interesting that the the writer, of course, here is writing after the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed, but he doesn't write about the temple. He doesn't write about the first temple. He doesn't write about the second temple. When the writer writes, he's writing about the tabernacle. He's going way back, all the way to the beginning. And he says, we had the holy place. We had the most holy place. That we had, we had a place, and the people were supposed to be there, and the sacrifice had to be done there. And there was this uh, special place. The, the covenant was limited in that uh, means. It was limited in the place, and it was not just limited in that was going on in the tabernacle. It was limited that there were places in the tabernacle that they weren't using, uh, really, that no people were entering uh, most of the time. You, have, you know, except for one day of the year, the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, I didn't have anyone uh, inside that. So it was limited in time. It was limited in place, rather. It was limited in time, right? The atonement that was going to happen for the nation was going to happen on one day of the year. Typically, the regular priests would go in and they would do their duty. There were things to do day in and day out in the holy place. And they would be in and out of the temple and they would be doing their part in and out of the tabernacle, doing the things that they were supposed to do. We see that in verse 6. These preparations Having been made, the priests go regularly. They go regularly into the first section and they perform their ritual duties. But the Holy of Holies, that's limited. They only go in there one time a year. And really, it's not just uh, not just all the priests go in, but it really is limited by a person. It's limited by a person. Only one person goes in. Only the high priest goes in. He goes in by himself. And the high priest, when he goes in, he has to make, we saw last week, atonement for his own sin and then he has to make atonement for the sin of the people he has to make a sacrifice for his own sin and then he has to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people it's limited in that only one person can go in and it's really limited in um in in its ability to do a whole lot because the person who was going into the most holy place that person was a sinner and so there was really um there was a limit on how effective his ministry could be. Actually, verse 9 spells it out really, really, uh, really specifically. It says, according, uh, yeah, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that, listen, cannot, 
that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. It was limited in the ability, what he was doing, even though he's uh, obeying everything that God gave them to do, it was limited in what it could do. And it could not, could not cleanse the conscience of the person who was, uh, who was, who was really seeking the forgiveness of God. The challenge with this is the conscience is, a, is our biggest problem, right? These things that uh, the system that they had, it says that it could deal with, we're going to look at this later, it could deal with the outer sin. And we see this lots of times with people. They say, oh, you, you can't come in this uh, a temple. They'll tell ladies, if you're on your period, you can't come in this temple. Uh, if you uh, haven't washed your hands, if you, if you have your shoes on your feet, you can't come in this place because you are not clean. And the problem isn't what we're carrying in on the bottoms of our shoes. The problem is what we're carrying in in our heart. And this whole system was limited in its ability to deal with the actual problem, the inner person. That's the real challenge that we were, that we are dealing with. So the old covenant is limited. It's limited in place and time. It's limited by the people who are uh, operating in this covenant. And it's limited in its ability, what it really can accomplish. Then the next thing is this, the new covenant was, uh, the new covenant is, the new covenant is uh, eternal. I'm going to read a few of these verses to you from chapter 9. Again, this is starting in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, right, he's saying uh, they the couldn't cleanse the conscience. These things only dealt with the food and drink and washings and regulations for the body that were imposed until the time of reformation. But Verse 11 says, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood, and, uh, the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred, a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And so the first covenant is limited. And we hear some of these amazing things about this uh, new covenant. This new covenant is eternal. And just look at three of the things that it says uh, in those first few verses that I read. This, re this redemption is eternal. And it's done by an eternal spirit. And then our inheritance is eternal eternal as well. He entered into, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And then it goes on and talks about how through the eternal ministry of the Holy Spirit, we're being protected. And verse 15, he's the mediator and he, and, and so we're able to receive this promised eternal inheritance. When we see this new covenant, like the old, it has to be enacted with uh, death. That's really what he's going to pick up um, in verse 16. And we probably won't read all of those verses. Uh, he starts to go into an explanation about whether if we have a will, the will's not really enforced until the person dies. And right, he sort of explains some of the kind of things that 
the whole temple system, everything had to be uh, uh, set aside, had to be sanctified with blood. They would kill something and it was sprinkled the blood all around. And so we see this new covenant, like the old, is enacted with a death. And he compares it to a will, and we go on and look at uh, those different kinds of things. They had to be set apart for service. And that sanctification for us as believers happened with the blood of Christ. In the same way that Moses takes blood and he's sprinkling it on the mercy seat and here and there and on the people and on the book, in the same way, the blood of Christ is providing for us a sanctification. We're being set apart uh, through this work of Christ. We talked a second ago about the fact that the old covenant was limited. And when we get really to uh, the heart of the end of this in verse 24 and 25, we're going to see ways that Jesus uh, overcame those uh, limitations, right? Um, the, the, the Old Testament was limited in its place, and Jesus uh, enters into the heavenly sanctuary, into the very presence of God. We're going to talk about that uh, in just a couple of minutes. It's just incredible the way that he sort of uh, tears away uh, all of this thing. But, but let's read them together before we do that. Uh, let's pick it up in verse uh, 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins thus it was necessary for the copies of these heavenly things to be purified with these rites but the heavenly things themselves uh but the heavenly things themselves with things that are better sacrifices than these for verse 20 verse 24 for christ has entered not into holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters into the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eager, eagerly waiting for him. And so uh, the Old Testament limited, uh, the Old Covenant limited in, uh, in its place. And Jesus enters into the heavenly sanctuary, the presence of God who is everywhere all of the time. And he, uh, he entered, he, he's, uh, we have this Old Covenant that's limited by, uh, by time, and Jesus enters here and he remains. He remains in the presence of God. He's not like the high priest who's going in and coming out, going in and coming out. Jesus enters in there and he, he remains. Uh, where the old covenant is limited by the person who's bringing the sacrifice, the person has to offer first for their sins and then for the sins of other people, Jesus is a sinless sacrifice. And so the sacrifice that he offers is perfect. It's not limited by the person anymore. And then finally, it's not limited in ability because we have a better priest. We have a high priest who can actually purify our conscience from dead works. We have this problem back in verse nine that the, the sacrifice and the things that we're doing, they can't ever really cleanse the inner person. But Jesus, it says in verse 14, how much more than the blood of Christ? Uh, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, and it will purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Years ago, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Ethiopia, 
And uh, on a Sunday morning, there were, maybe it was a Saturday, I, I can't remember, on, on, on worship day, right, when it's worship day, uh, the members would go to church. But if a person didn't feel worthy to go to the church, they would take a notebook and they would write their prayers in a notebook and they would actually come to the door and sort of bow down and they would put their prayer notebook uh, just inside the door and they would slide their notebook into the church, but they would stay outside. They, they said, I'm not worthy to, to go into the church. I just want to, but I want my prayers to go inside. And there would be other people who said, I'm so unworthy. I can't even go onto the grounds of the church. And they would stay out in the street and they would take their prayer notebooks and they would just pass them just inside the gate. And they would just push them into the yard of the church because they couldn't uh, go into the grounds themselves. They felt guilty in their conscience and the whole thing that they were going through, whatever religious system that they were following was not ever helping them feel like they had been forgiven. Their conscience was never cleansed. And sometimes we feel the same sort of way, but listen to this incredible uh, quote. This is from a, a guy named F.F. Bruce. And in his Hebrews commentary, he says this, it is only it is only when the conscience is purified that one is set free to approach God without reservation and offer him acceptable worship and service. It is only when one's conscience is purified that one is able to be, that one is really set free to approach God without reservation and offer him acceptable service and worship. We have to have our conscience cleansed if we're really going to live with the Lord. In uh, Exodus chapter 20, there's a great picture. Exodus chapter 20, if you uh, are very familiar with your Bible, you'll know that Exodus chapter 20 is when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, right? These uh, tablets that end up inside the uh, that end up inside the ark, that inside the, that end up inside the most holy place, that end up inside the tabernacle, right? So God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and what, what's the people's response to this incredible uh, meeting that they've had with God? In Exodus 20, starting in verse 18, listen to this. Now all the people, when they saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound and the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you go, you go and speak. Uh, you speak for you speak to us. That's what they said. Sorry. They, they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses says to them in verse 20, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And so God, God, he's trying to move into this relationship with his people. He's trying to give them uh, the law that they're supposed to follow. And their response to that is, we don't want to hear from him, Moses, because their conscience is just so guilty feeling. If he speaks to us, we will, we will die. And so the question is, were those people honoring God by refusing to be close to him? And I would say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. They're not honoring God. This is the God who over and over in their past, and then we see later on throughout the scripture and all through history, that God wants to be with his people. He wants to be with his people. And these people in uh, Exodus and us so often, we just respond with, uh, no, thank you. No, thank you. You're too holy, and I don't want to be 
close to you. It's really reverent and it, it sounds nice, right? God's so holy, I can't be in his presence. It's reverent, but it's not loving. They felt guilty in their conscience and they stayed away, but that was not at all what God had for them. So before we finish, let's go back. Hebrews chapter nine. Uh, I want us to look at 12 through 15, 12 through 15 and see these last few things. Uh, it says in verse 12 that Jesus entered once for all. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. The ministry of Christ is for uh, all in this very sense. It's a universal. We can say that. He, the ministry of Christ is universal in the sense that it touches all places and all times and all peoples. And the scripture is clear. Whosoever will, let that one come. Right? He entered once for all. He entered once for all. The second thing is this. He secures for us an eternal redemption. Not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So we can rest easy in the work that Christ is doing in us. Listen, we are not perfect. You and I, we're not perfect, but we are being perfected. Christ is doing this work in us. He has secured for us an eternal redemption. The third thing down in verse 14, through the eternal, through the eternal spirit, Jesus offered himself as a sinless sacrifice to purify our conscience from dead works. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much will he purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Through the eternal spirit, he has offered himself so that our conscience could be cleared. We are free in Christ. And then the fourth thing is this eternal inheritance in verse 15 is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called by may receive the promised inheritance. Uh, we are always, we are always in Christ. We are always, and we are forever free because of what he has done for us. It is an eternal inheritance. So what do we do about this in the light uh, of Hebrews 9, right? How do, we, how do we live out this week? Here's the first thing. I think we should receive our inheritance. You should receive your inheritance. Verse 15 says that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. So the question is this, do you wish to receive the eternal inheritance? If you wish to receive the eternal inheritance, then I believe it is intended for you and you should receive it, right? This is good news for you. It's good news for your family. It's good news for the generations that follow you. When you come into these actual kingdom riches, then you have the opportunity to uh, be used to be to change the lives of people around you. We, uh, we have um, a couple of big kind of lotteries that have been going on uh, here in the U.S. And uh, uh, both of them have just been growing, 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 growing. They're like uh, records. And uh, earlier this week, one person, one person hit all the lucky numbers and won 800 million U.S. dollars, 800 million U.S. dollars, right? 
we would think, oh, I'd love to have that kind of inheritance. And so everywhere people have been saying, well, let's all buy tickets together. I'll give a few dollars. You give a few dollars. And we'll go into partnership. And if we win, we'll all split the money. And you know what? It's going to be okay because we will do good things with that money. And we could, right? If we had lots of money, maybe we could do all kinds of really great things. But the truth is, with this kind of uh, inheritance that we receive, true kingdom eternal riches, we can really bless generation after generation after generation as we teach them the ways of Christ and how they can live uh, for eternity. This is an opportunity to, to be used by God to touch the world and all the people that are around you. So receive that inheritance. Secondly, live with a purified conscience. There's a cliche that uh, I've heard for years surrounding the Bible that says, sin will keep you from the word and the word will keep you from sin. Sin will keep you from the word and the word will keep you from sin. Jesus died to set you free from dead works and to purify your heart so that you'll be free to serve God and produce the fruit of the spirit. That's what he died for. So us keeping track of our own sins and thinking about how bad we used to be and all the stuff that we used to do and all the ways that I failed yesterday and the ways that I failed today and the ways that I'll likely fail tomorrow, us keeping track of all of that kind of stuff does not honor God. We all sin, but we're followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we are not marked by that sin. So we should live with a purified conscience. We're marked by the love of Christ. He died to set us free. So take that inheritance and live with a purified conference, right? A confident, purified conscience. If we go back to a sermon I got to preach a few weeks ago in Hebrews chapter six, it, 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 uh, it encouraged us to be moving toward maturity, right? It said that milk is for babies, basically, and you people can't handle solid food. And he's, he's really kind of harsh with the church when he's writing these sorts of things, but he's encouraging them. He's encouraging them to be mature in their thinking, right? To practice discernment and to know the difference between good and evil. And so if you're living now with a purified conscience, I would say this, start where you are. You're not who you need to be. You're not who you want to be. You're not who you're going to be eventually. Just start where you are. Don't worry about uh, the things you didn't do or the problems that you've had in the past. Start there and move past some of these elementary doctrines as he was talking about in uh, Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 6. Train your mind to think and to have discernment and to know the difference between good and evil. The constant message here in Hebrews through the whole book is don't give up. Their life was tough and your life is tough. And lots of your lives are really tough. And you're dealing with uh, you know, significant issues with your family, or you're dealing with uh, real sickness problems, you have concerns about your visa, you have concerns about your finances, or any of these kinds of things. And the truth is, these are hard issues, but don't give up. The Apostle Paul in Philippians, he says, forget what lies behind, and instead, strain on toward what is in the future. Press on toward the prize. Press on toward that prize, the upward call of God who is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, who thinks like that? Mature people think that way. That's who thinks like that. Mature people. So live with a purified conscience. Get yourself committed to growing and start growing. Whatever it is that you need to do, right? You're, you're not mature today, maybe. I'm not as mature today as I, I need to be, but I'm more mature than I used to be. You can, you can be growing in your 
faith. And maybe you need a, a Bible reading plan that you're going to try to stick to. Or you need to join one of the Bible studies and work your way through Luke and see what's in the gospel. Maybe you just need a prayer partner. Uh, you don't have to be immature, right? The only thing that would be uh, immature would be a problem in that setting is if you just keep on doing what you've been doing in the past. Set your goal toward maturity. Live with a purified conscience. That was in the past. I'm moving forward and grow into your faith. We have books. We have books on prayer, on evangelism, and all kinds of spiritual disciplines up. And I'm sure that we can make some way to get those books to you if you would like to read some and just set yourself on a course for spiritual maturity. We want to be, uh, we want to be part of your toolkit and to help you as you grow in your faith. Live with that purified conscience. Then the last thing is this. Embrace this uh, coming promise. Verse 28 says that Christ will appear. He'll appear a second time. He's not, he's not appearing to deal with sin, but he's coming to eagerly save those who are waiting for him. If we're not careful, we'll get so consumed with politics and we'll get consumed with work and we'll get consumed with raising up our little babies and our children and taking care of our marriage. And we'll be worried about the virus and we'll be worried about the future. And we'll be worried about what's going to happen. And we'll get our focus on everything except the fact that we're supposed to be eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. We're supposed to be living like we expect him to come back any time. And so I would say, embrace this coming promise here at the end of chapter nine in verse 28 there that that you would look and say christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many and he will appear again second time to save those who are eagerly waiting for him when he comes back may he find us eagerly waiting may he find us faithful let's pray together lord we we do love you and we thank you for the truth of your word. And uh, Father, I thank you that uh, this is just a group of people that it's been such an incredible blessing to minister to and minister among. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for their uh, heart and uh, for their uh, desire to grow. And I thank you for their great encouragement for uh, the community there in uh, Iskandar Putri and Buka Inda and Johor Bahru. And we pray that you would continue to be uh, moving in our midst. God, we pray those that you would strengthen those who uh, would waver. It's just, uh, this is just dragging on for so long with the virus. And so people are getting weak and people are getting frustrated and people are getting tired and people are lonely and all of these different kinds of things where we want to be um, able to minister to a, a sister like Maggie and uh, Vincent, Lord, our brother, who just uh, would struggle in these days and, and probably could just really use a hug and someone to come and hold their hand and pray with them. And we hate that we can't be uh, in the middle of a situation like that with them. And so we just pray that you would strengthen uh, strengthen those of us who remain. God, give us, Lord, your spirit. We pray that you would help us to have eyes, Lord, that long for your return. Father, when the evil one would whisper in our ear about uh, how wicked we are and the things that we've done that are uh, less than they should be, I pray that you wouldn't allow us to fall into self-pity and the self-condemnation and talk to ourselves and and, uh, and destroy our own selves when we should have a purified conscience. We we don't go through the just through the, the the outward things that could cleanse the outward body. It's not about washing our hands and our face and our ears and our feet, but about having our heart cleansed. And so I pray that you would help us to live like people who have had their heart cleansed. And Lord, I pray that um, that we wouldn't be the kind of people who are focused on um, earthly. Uh, earthly blessings, leaving behind a, a big inheritance for our kids and 
Lord, thinking that the way that we will impact the generations that follow us is through uh, financial means. But uh, I pray that you would help us to be people who think that the, the biggest difference that we can make in our families, the biggest difference that we can make in our workplaces, the biggest difference that we can make in our community is to be people who do those things full of the love of Christ. Let us parent and let us grow and let us be workers and let us be neighbors and let us be citizens, Lord, that are full of Christ and make a difference at every juncture. So thank you for the sermon. God, I pray that you would be with us as we move into Hebrews 10 next week. We pray you'd continue to help us to grow and help us, Lord, as we hear your word preached. And we ask Jesus that you would go with us even as we get through our day today. We love you. We commit these dear families to you and we commit the week ahead to you as well. In Jesus name. Amen.